Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Simon Anthony and Torty Talks. This is Torty Talks number 148. I had rather a good day yesterday. Here's an example of the wonders I experienced. Right, well, I'm being multiply silly today. It's seven o'clock. I'm far from fully recovered from COVID, but I am improved. Long COVID is the issue with me. As you can hear, I have a wheelie trolley behind me. In fact, it's a suitcase. Why am I going out with a suitcase? Well, it's got a choice of costumes in it. Because I'm going to be an extra. I shall be paid, probably, eventually. But uh, I've done extra work for this group of people many times before. And uh, it's always been interesting. And uh, I'm getting a reputation I've had two speaking roles <laughs> uh, in Bollywood films today is another Bollywood film I'm not expecting a speaking role uh, so I doubt I shall get one this will probably be my least noticeable appearance uh, but who can say? I've got to go to Richmond. There are lots of ways of getting there and it's possibly a two hour journey. I'm giving myself two and a half. I'm hoping to be able to do it in just about one hour forty. But I've got to be able to get to the end of the road first and I've got to get back. My Porter, Richmond Lion Train. It would go all the way. And the problem was, the bloke sitting next to me had a smell on him. That was so great, I couldn't cope. The smell being of aftershave. Also, I found out that I could get there almost an hour early by using a different route. So I'm giving myself the yeah, I gave myself the possible aphasia is a problem I have when tired. Luxury, that's the word I'm looking for. Luxury of a lift. So here I am. Jubilee line to Waterloo. Should have time to find a way to get out of Waterloo. I think I'm here. Hello. Hello, is this a goldfish? Yes, it is. Splendid. Hello. Simon Anthony. Nice to meet you, Simon. Will you just bear with us a couple of minutes? All right. To get as long as you've got a lavatory somewhere. <laughs> I was going to be almost exactly on time, but I, the trains were broke, so I took an alternate route, which was an hour faster. <laughs> 
Splendid, thank you very much. There could then follow uh, quite a substantial um, burst of actually doing my acting. But seeing as how, A, it is copyright, B, it is not mine, and C, it is uh, nowhere near ready for production, it ain't gonna happen. So, moving on, I did a bit of acting, and uh, wonderful it was. I, I was I was fantastic, possibly, uh, when everybody said so, which is what you say under those circumstances. It's not quite lovey-lovey, but it's not far off. But uh, the, uh, the time it took was very slight, and the amount of time we were booked for was very much. And uh, so we just started talking about things for six hours, and I spoke about proms. Well, I've got me ticket for the prom tonight, but there's no way I've got the strength to go there. Never mind. Promenade concert. First night of the proms, first night of the extremely related, delayed proms. I had to be out of here first to be able to get there. It's tonight and tomorrow night and on for the next six weeks. How was that the last prom that had people in it? I might be able, perhaps, to get into the second half. But I've got a case and the cloakroom shut. And they won't let cases into the arena. So that's a problem. I ought to give a bit of grounding into proming now before I go on. So here is my life as a prommer. I remember the first day I went to a prom by myself. It was 1974, I think, and I lived in Ealing. I had to get to South Kent Station early, so I walked to South Ealing Tube Station. I remember that walk. There was a white-painted side of a building on the curve of St Mary's Road as it bent towards South Ealing Station. I felt that it was smiling at me. It was a long time ago, but what happened on that day has changed my life many times over the last 40 years, and all to the good. I caught the tube and got to South Kent Station. I noticed there was a tunnel, like a tube tunnel I had just left, and pedestrianised. It had a sign over the entry saying Royal Albert Hall, so I followed it. I can remember the brass lettering in the smooth concrete floor of the tunnel, neither fully readable nor was the content text in any way memorable, but it was really nice to see it as I walked as fast as I could towards what I hoped would be the entry to the hall. It wasn't. <laughs> the very end led to steps that opened up into a street that I walked in the right direction would take me to the hall. Eventually, I turned left. I was lucky that day. There were Victorian buildings to my left, which I took to be a good sign, so I walked on and on, getting more and more concerned that people would be getting there before me. I knew about queues, probably from the television, but I had never been in a queue of any sort other than that for a bus until that day. I knew that being at the front was all important. At the corner of the road, there was a red brick Victorian round-sided building. That was not the hall. But I turned left at that point. There was a sloping curved road a little way down on my right. I looked up between the high wall of Victorian splendour of the once residential accommodation and saw the roof of the hall, white against a blue sky, framed by the red of the bricks, I walked even faster. As the curve unwound, I could see to road level, and there was a queue. 
This was door two. I needed door three, the gallery queue, but there was no way to work out which was which, nor what order people were in. It was just a mass of people, all very happy. I joined them. In 1974, I got a gallery season ticket. At the last night, which I thought I'd probably go to, I was very annoyed to discover that all season ticket holders were forced down into the arena. From the gallery, where I found a good place to stand, I could see everything in the hall. It was an extraordinary view, absolutely beautiful, burned into my memory and refreshed it every time I revisit the place. I could see, if I sort of focused gently, strangely, all movement in every person in that hall. It's a strange sort of, uh, I, I don't know if it's uh, any fault of meditation or other, but it's uh, if you don't focus on a subject and just think about, or don't even think about the movement, every movement sings out. Everything stationary sort of is invisible. But I mean, that was a bizarre thing. Anyway, I liked it up there. I could hear all the music and I could get keep out of the crowds, which I didn't particularly like. On the last night, though, we had to go into the arena. So I did. And it was better. It was vastly better. I have seldom returned to the gallery. <laughs> It was it was just so nice. The next year, 1975, if I turned up as early as I could, I joined a group. The instant I joined the queue on that day one, and we decided we were going to overthrow the regulars and take their place and be on the front row. And so, you know, we, we set about doing things like... Um, queuing, which is the way you do these things. But <laughs> in those days, we stood around for ages and, of course, we chatted with everybody else. And we became very friendly with everybody. We didn't overthrow the group. We became members of it. And within moments, I had been lent a camp bed by Biggles, a bloke who was one of the mainstays of the arena at those days, and I was allowed to sleep out with the group for the good position for the next night at the hall. I can't remember what the concert was. We didn't really pay attention to what the concert was before the concert. We just went to the concerts because... In every prom, there is something fantastic. At least there always used to be. And so what? <laughs> we would go and we would enjoy whatever it was because we were learning. We were being exposed to new music. New music which could have been composed 600 years ago or has never been played at all. Oh, the joy of it all. Superb. I became a stalwart, um, a, a front row promer to this day. So much to my surprise, in a situation where I have got uh, the opportunity to get to the Albert Hall before the concert starts. 
and and what's more, I've got a ticket, and I got it at, got it at one o'clock, four hours after I thought they would have all sold out. Apparently, they were also on sale, <laughs> the same ticket number that I got at three o'clock. Don't understand. Now I'm hoping the uh, the the lax nature of the way things are going on will mean that they will. <laughs> and uh, they will accept my COVID negative position and double um, double jab proof. Plus, allow me into the hall with my case, which I very much doubt. But they might. There's a chance. Or they might let me leave it with them. There's a chance. Very much doubt. But, well, let's try and find out. Ha 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 ha. Mind the gap between the train and the platform. The delightful thing is that I was let in. They accepted my piece of paper that said I was double-jabbed. They went through my case and said, Oh, you're an actor, are you? That's all these clothes. Oh, fantastic. There you go. You'll have to put this in the cloakroom. It was open. <laughs> so I took it there, put it in, and then came back into the hall and was immediately into the, to, to the, the inner ring and was immediately recognised by a member of staff who I happened to have known for 40 years. But anyway, that was lovely. Then I went into the main body of the hall, the arena, and found a third row position in the middle at 19.25 on that day, as in five minutes before the music would start. And this is what happened next. Nice to be back, isn't it? wasn't quite my intention to do a shout as that's what it was that you heard there and the delight I can only describe it as delight of the 
response from the entire present audience of the Royal Albert Hall was tremendous. And on Radio 3, this happened. Indeed, Petrock and Henry Wood, always present here at the proms, his bust just in front of the organ, lit gently. <laughs> ah, an interjection from a promer. Hooray! They've started early. <laughs> I suspect we'll be getting a few more of those as the evening progresses. The arena is about half full. It's a kind of gentle start, isn't it, tonight? It's not... It's not ram full. Of course, uh, tickets for, for the complete haul only been on sale for, for not much more than a week. <laughs> Give us a moment, we'll think of something. <laughs> Radio 3 did rather talk over the next chant. BBC completely missed both of them because they did a, a delayed relay and did an edit and chopped the whole lot off. Never mind. I got it recorded. <laughs> Are the Olympics overrunning? <laughs> Radio 3 carried on chatting merrily about such things and explained a lengthy gap between the uh, tuning up and the arrival of uh, the conductor and soloist on stage as being due to the loss of cufflinks, which we, of course, didn't know. We would possibly make some comment about it in the future, however. traditionally would do. That means that the stage here at the Royal Albert Hall, just to paint a picture, is much bigger than it would normally be. I'd say it's, it's certainly a third bigger than it would normally be. So the, the, the front row of promos is pushed well back, isn't it? It is, and uh, I was reading in the, in the programme tonight a uh, string player from the BBC Symphony Orchestra, a viola player, saying how strange it is to still be in this distanced mode uh, because you don't get the usual physical cues of watching your leader and mm. watching from your desk. So quite often they're a fraction out in their thinking and their timings. Here they come, the cufflinks obviously been found. <laughs> what a line-up of soloists. I'm going to be looking for cufflinks on Alan I can't uh, possibly play any more of this because the rest is the music over which I have no copyright whatsoever. But you can go and listen to the whole lot from BBC Sounds for the next year or something. Fantastic stuff and there's much, much more to come. And I advise you to go in person for only £7.12. That's £6 plus £1.12 booking fee online. You can do it yourself. You may have been aware of the strange sort of singing that me and my friends did when the orchestra was tuning up. 
This is extraordinarily traditional. It's been going on since 1969, probably at least. The purpose of this is just generally to irritate people. If you're particularly good at it, you can be about a, a semitone down, or even a quarter semitone down on what the orchestra is trying to play. The idea is not to make the performance appalling, but to generally interact with the orchestra. They quite often appreciate this fact if we do it loudly enough. This is not something that had been possible to do for two years. And other things that are traditional, as um, at the beginning of a chant, you may just possibly have heard um, the counting one, two, sixty-nine-four. Quite why we do that, I don't know, but um, we did, and that's that's always been the case. If there are sufficiently large number of people in the gallery, we can play ping pong. We'd say, ah, yeah, arena to gallery, ping. And then the gallery would shout Pong, and then the arena would shout Ping, and so forth until something happened. Uh, it was, you know, it was quite, quite humorous at, the, at its time. The ritual stamping, the synchronized thumping and clapping, uh, was actually started by a bloke um, we called Huge Wellies. His name was Hugh. Uh, he had particularly large Wellingtons, which for some reason he wore into the hall. This enabled him to make quite a stamping sound. Uh, this was in the uh, early 1980s, I think. The accidental sort of uh, acceleration was entirely um, a, a function of, of, of human inability to clap in time, I think. If, they, if there's nothing, uh, no metronome around, um, anyone who hits it slightly early is going to um, affect the person next to them. And there's a, <laughs> a natural in inclination to accelerate and as we're having a great deal of fun in the process, um, it does get faster and faster until it breaks down and uh, sort of general confusion or somebody comes on stage, at which point we cheer. A fun thing, which was almost evident in the uh, recording I personally made, false applause. A million and three years ago, <laughs> In the days of the Rubik Cube, a new Rubik Cube came out. Something to do in the in the queue. In those days, we used to be able to hang around for absolutely hours, whiling away the time, um, chatting with each other, and then trying to solve a five by five Rubik Cube. There were some remarkably bright people in the queue, and from one of them, I learned how to do it. Well, I thought I did, and I carried on, and I carried on in the in the uh, uh, centrally focused way that you do when you get into something this stupid, I got into the hall and continued doing it. And I succeeded after the, the, uh, the leader had come on and uh, they had tuned up. And there was a, uh, the pregnant pause before the conductor comes on. And I, at that point, successfully completed my 5x5 five five Rubik's Cube and I held it aloft and said, yay, and the people around me who knew what I was doing said effectively, well done, and gave me a round of applause. At which everybody else in the hall who had no idea who I was, let alone what Rubik's Cube was or anything, thought, oh, uh, somebody's coming on stage, and they started clapping too. And this again uh, exponentially increased to the point that the entire hall joined in. And the uh, the lovely thing uh, was uh, that um, 
we then realized that I didn't have to solve a Rubik's Cube to do anything. I just needed to wait until an appropriately, potentially valid point and then start clapping and fire off the entire hall. Ha ha. Yes, that was that was that was my naughtiness. Another naughty thing I did when I worked for the BBC uh, was uh, on a televised night, see if I could um, snag a script um, from um, the, um, um, the, the cameraman or, or some other operative who wouldn't be ratted out by me at any point. And I took the script, went into the hall and then got a group of people around me and we read the script out in Prom's chant manner as the Radio 3 announcer was was reading his script. And uh, I, I timed it right because I had a portable radio at the time and I could listen to Radio 3. It being a live thing of this, um, I can't remember who it might, it might possibly have been Michael Barclay who we did this to. He didn't, if it was him, it certainly didn't put him off um, liking promise because he joined in and uh, had gave a guest performance at a performance that we promenaders gave. Um, in the queue, there's very little to do, as I said, but seeing as how quite a number of us are musical, which is not deeply surprising, and um, seeing as how there is an Imperial College uh, large room just um, next to where we always used to stand, we managed to borrow it and go in there and rehearse performances of um, a, a fun thing, a thing that we called a gropperetta. This I have mentioned earlier, indeed there is a podcast on my Torty Talks um, uh, podcast available in all good record shops, um, that has uh, recordings of, of, of these um, uh, um, rehearsals. Um, plus, possibly somewhere in the world exists uh, some uh, news footage and maybe my recording now long mislaid of uh, the performance. And Michael Barclay did the introductions. And I thought that was rather kind of him. It's, uh, in the in the days when he had a full head of hair, nearly, and, uh, and that was that was that was great fun. What other things did we used to do? Well, there was the Viennese night. That night was one which was um, pretty silly. Um, that uh, unfortunately, on one occasion, became so particularly silly and rather disgustingly overtaken by. Um, uh, people who were pretending to be upper-class snobs <laughs> were in fact idiots. Uh, well, it's difficult to uh, uh, distinguish between the two anyway. Um, and, and they had large quantities of drink and it looked absolutely terrible on the television, um, swaying around being drunk and stupid. And so the Viennese night was cancelled. Viennese night, night when Vienna type the uh, waltz tunes were performed. It was always fun, even even on that occasion it was fun, uh, but it did get rather rowdy. Uh, the uh, gropperetta, uh, operetta thing performed by um, uh, the um, uh, Prince Albert's Flying Symphonia only occurred in the afternoon before the last night at the end of eight weeks of promenading. <laughs> The last night is only fun, really, if it means something to you because you've been to lots and lots of the possibly 60 other concerts. Uh, this season it isn't that many, unfortunately. 
but it, it really matters when we get to that. Mark you, there was a year uh, when we didn't particularly, quite a number of us didn't particularly want to uh, um, say how wonderful uh, Britain was when it was uh, engaged in the Gulf War, so we um, uh, campaigned against it and sat down during Rule Britannia and things like that. Nobody noticed, which is fairly irritating. But we tried, we knew it happened. Proms are fun. Go there, enjoy them. Bring your kids, please. one in a series of Torty Talks by Simon Anthony, acting at torty.org.uk.